Uh, hey, good morning, everyone. You can have a seat. Um, it's good to see you today. My name is Norton. I'm one of the pastors here. In case you happen to be new or visiting this morning, we're glad you're here. Uh, we're just a community of faith of people uh, from all different places on our spiritual journey. So I'm glad you could join us uh, this morning. In a moment, we're going to read a psalm together. Uh, we do this fairly regularly um, as a way to just pray together using these old prayers from the Old Testament. Um, but the psalm that we're going to read today mentions a very famous type of tree in the Bible. And uh, we're doing a sermon series this whole summer on trees, believe it or not, because the Bible is full of stories and references about trees. And there's one kind of tree in particular that is most important in biblical times or in the ancient Near East or even the Roman Empire of the New Testament. One species of tree that was most prominent, most valuable, uh, most significant. Um, it's still valuable today, even though we don't have any of these kinds of trees here in Colorado. Probably most of us have the fruit of this tree in our kitchen right now. Can anyone guess what it is? Yeah, you guys are awesome, man. <laughs> 8.30 was horrible at this question. Like, so olive, yes, olive trees. It's the olive tree. Now, um, before we get to a psalm that mentions the olive trees, I wanted to actually test your knowledge when it comes to olive trees and olive oil. So I have three questions. We'll see how you do. Uh, question number one, on average, how long does an olive tree live? What do you think? 20 years, 50 years, 200 years, or 500 years? What's your guess? Two, I heard one, 500, a two, 20, it, there's, it's D, 500 years, that's the answer. They actually live really long. Um, obviously, some trees maybe live shorter, but we also have olive trees that live thousands of years old. Uh, I'll tell you why in a little bit. Uh, question number two, approximately how much olive oil does one tree produce a year? One tablespoon, one gallon, 10 gallons, or 100 gallons? What do you guys think? 10. It's one gallon. One gallon on average. Now, obviously, that can go up and down depending on the tree, how ripe the olives are when you pick them, the weather that year, all those kind of things. But on average, most trees produce um, about a gallon of olive oil once they crush all the olives and get the oil from them. All right. Third question. What country produces the most olive oil today? Spain, Australia, Italy, or Greece? He's right, it's Spain. Yes, it's Spain. Now, many of us think it's Italy uh, because we associate olive oil with Italian food, right? Rightly so. But believe it or not, about 75% of the olive oil in the world today is produced in Spain. Um, there's almost 300 million olive trees in Spain. So, uh, now that's today. If you were to go back um, thousands of years, the areas that produced the most olive trees and most olive oil were Greece, Lebanon, Israel, and Syria. This is where olive trees flourished in the ancient world. And when you read the Bible, there are references all over the place to the olive tree. Now, in a second, we're going to read Psalm 52 together. Uh, I'll read a section, and then you can read a section, and we'll go back and forth. And this is a Psalm of David. Uh, and it was written in a time in his life before he becomes king. He's actually on the run uh, from Saul and from his enemies. He's hiding from them. He's fleeing to the wilderness. 
And in the first part of this psalm that we're going to read, um, he describes how wicked and arrogant and deceitful his enemies are. And he's actually calling on God to judge them. He's looking forward to the day. He says God will uproot them from the land like a poisonous weed. And in some ways, this prayer can be a model for us. Uh, whenever you have people that have hurt you or people that seems like they're flourishing in life and you're not and it doesn't make any sense because it feels like the bad guys are always winning and the good guys are not winning, it's okay to bring those emotions and bring those thoughts and bring even that anger to God and vent to him. But then in the psalm, at the end, David says he wants to be different from his enemies. He wants to be like an olive tree because his faith and his hope And his trust is in God, even when he feels like he's losing and everyone else is winning. He believes ultimately that he will flourish like an olive tree in the wilderness. Now, we'll unpack how an olive tree can flourish in the wilderness in a little bit. But let's take a few moments and just reflect on this psalm together as we read it. I will put it on the screen. And again, I'll read the first part and then you can read the second. Why do you boast of evil? You mighty hero, why do you boast all day long, you who are a disgrace in the eyes of God? You who practice deceit, your tongue plots destruction. It is like a sharpened razor. Surely God will bring you down to everlasting ruin. He will snatch you up and pluck you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous will see and fear. They will laugh at you, saying, Here now is the man who did not make God his stronghold, but trusted in his great wealth and grew strong by destroying others. So as I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, um, olive trees are really important in the ancient world. And we're doing this series on trees right now. In fact, the olive tree is uh, the oldest known cultivated tree in human history. And it shows up in stories and references all over uh, the Bible. It's mentioned in one of the earliest stories in Genesis. Do you remember uh, the whole world is flooded and Noah and his family are in this large boat, the ark, and they're wondering when the floods will go down, when there is evidence that life has begun to grow on earth again. And so Noah sends out a dove from the boat and Genesis says this, when the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. So this olive branch is a sign that life has begun to grow again on the earth. And then uh, hundreds of years later, when uh, the nation of Israel, the people of Israel are coming into the promised land, Moses tells them that this land is going to provide all of the things that they could ever need. And he says this in Deuteronomy, for the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land with brooks and streams Deep springs gushing out into the valleys and hills, a land with wheat and barley, vines and fig trees, pomegranates, olive oil, and honey. 
And we're actually told this over and over and over in a, in a whole bunch of places that this new land of Canaan has everything they need. And it's flowing, oftentimes it says flowing with milk and honey, but also it's very clear it is flowing with olive oil. There are olive trees all over Canaan. And uh, I want to get to uh, or speak to two um, properties or two qualities of olive trees that made them so important in the ancient world. And the first is that they're really fruitful, right? They produce these olives and they produce a lot of olives every year. And this olive, olive is made, uh, is crushed and it produces olive oil. And olive oil is extremely important in ancient culture. For a whole bunch of reasons. It's used for a bunch of different things. Let me just give you a list real quick. Uh, obviously, olive oil is used as food, right? It's eaten. It's cooked with. The olives themselves are often eaten. And so it was really important. And in fact, whenever you see the word oil, anytime in the Bible, it's talking about olive oil. Um, they didn't have canola oil or coconut oil or avocado oil or Trader Joe's avocado oil spray. They didn't have that back then. They just had olive oil. So whenever you see olive oil, that's what's being used. Um, but in the ancient world, olive oil was not just used for food or cooking. It was also used to provide light. Every lamp they used when it became dark, a lamp had a, a, a well that they put a little bit of olive oil in and then a wick came out and they lit the wick and what kept it going was the olive oil. And olive oil burns without any smoke. It burns very cleanly and it burns for a long time. And so light was produced by olive oil. Olive oil was also used as a medicinal ointment. It was good for your skin, and it could even provide healing on wounds. There's a story Jesus tells one day about a man who's beaten on the side of the road. And another man comes along. He's a Samaritan. Remember the story? And he bandages up his wounds and pours olive oil on them. Some people took the olive oil and they even put it on their skin uh, even when they were healthy because it made your skin shine and it had this sort of glowing and attractive appearance. Olive oil was also used for anointing. So whenever someone was put into an important position, like a king taking the throne, they would often pour olive oil or place olive oil on the new king's head as a way of honoring what was taking place. And it was also really because olive oil came to symbolize God's presence and God's favor. So whenever anyone was anointed with olive oil, it was the symbol, may, may God's presence be with this person or God's favor be upon them. So olive trees are really important because of the fruit they produced that was used in so many different ways in the ancient world. So olive trees are fruitful. That's one key quality. But the second is that olive trees are resilient. They're resilient. They can grow in dry and arid land. They can grow in areas where there's not much access to water. They don't need a lot of water to survive. Olive trees can weather storms really well. They can weather drought really well. They can weather even fires sweeping through an olive grove and still not die. Which is why they last oftentimes hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years old. They're just really resilient. And this combination of being both fruitful and resilient is really unique when it comes to a tree, right? There are some trees that are really fruitful, like peach trees, but they're not super resilient. 
There are other trees that are really resilient, like a bristlecone pine that lasts for a long time, but they're not very fruitful, or at least not fruit that benefits humans so much. But olive trees have both of these qualities, and that's why they are always presented in the Bible as a picture of what it means to flourish or the flourishing life. The kind of life that that we should all have. The kind of life we should seek to have. Be like an olive tree. It's why David said, as we read just a few minutes ago in Psalm 52, I am like an olive tree, flourishing in the house of God. Or later the prophet Jeremiah would say this about the whole nation of Israel. The Lord called you a thriving olive tree with fruit beautiful in form. The Lord Almighty who planted you. And then in the New Testament, Paul will use this same imagery to describe followers of Jesus. He'll say that we are like olive trees that flourish, which means we too today are created and made and called to be fruitful and resilient like olive trees to produce fruit in our lives. that is good for the sake of other people around us. And to also be resilient, right? To weather the storms of life, to weather the challenges or those wilderness seasons that we find ourselves in. And so the question that I want to ask all of us today is a really simple one. What makes olive trees so fruitful and resilient? What is it that we could learn from olive trees? If we too want to be fruitful, if we too want to be resilient, what is it that olive trees can teach us. And as I've been studying olive trees for the last couple of months, I think there are three characteristics or three traits that they have that are, that are somewhat special that we can learn from them about what it looks like to be fruitful and resilient in our own lives. And so I want to share those with you today. First, they have strong roots. Olive trees are known for their really robust root system. Uh, In the first few years of an olive tree's life, um, the tree itself does not get very big. Uh, The tree doesn't even look like it's doing very much. It doesn't grow very quickly. In fact, if you were to watch it, you would say, wow, this thing is growing. Is it even growing? It's just going so slowly because it's giving all of its resources to its root system. It's bearing deep and widespread Roots. All of the resources are going to that in its first few years. In fact, it doesn't even produce fruit for the first five or ten years. If you were to look at an olive tree on the outside, it looks like not much is happening at all. And that's because the entire focus is on the root system. Which means that when the tree does get big, it can sustain growth. It means that there are many widespread roots that it does have that can access water all over the place, even when there's not much water to access. It means that the root system is strong enough to support a tree, even when the soil is really rocky. And so you can see olive trees growing in really rocky places. Now, of course, all trees have root systems, right? But very few are as strong as the olive tree which is partly why olive trees are so resilient and last for so long. Let me give you a comparison. Uh, About 15 years ago, um, our family lived in the suburbs of Atlanta, and we had a Bradford 
pear tree. That's that tree right in the front of our yard. And um, if you don't know anything about a Bradford pear, uh, it doesn't actually produce pears. It's a, it's a breeded kind of pear tree that doesn't produce fruit, but it's a favorite of suburban housing developers. Um, it produces these beautiful little white flowers in the spring that are pretty and that everyone loves. It produces beautiful leaves that turn all kinds of colors in the fall. And it grows really fast. So in these suburban areas where new houses are going up and there's no trees, it's really important that the developers plant all of these trees that are going to grow really quickly. That's what people want to see. But guess what? Bradford pears don't have a very strong root system. They don't even have a very strong trunk. And so they look really nice and really attractive for about 10 or 15 or 20 years. And then their branches and their trunks begin to split and crack because the tree can't actually handle the weight or any kind of bad storm. And so late one night, sitting in our house there in Atlanta, we heard this loud crash where half of our tree uh, fell down. And I couldn't find a picture of it. Maybe I was too depressed to take a picture. I don't know. Um, and every time we had storms in the suburbs there of Atlanta, you drive around our neighborhoods because every house had these. You would see these branches and these trees laying on the ground because they had all been built and planted about 15 or 20 years before. So these trees look really pretty, right? And they grow really fast. But it comes at an enormous cost. They're not resilient. They don't have strong roots. So what's the lesson for us? The lesson is, do you have strong roots? Building strong roots in your faith, in your life, I mean, even in your physical body, it's not easy. It's not flashy. It's not attractive. It takes time. It means doing things that nobody else is going to notice. But it's the thing that makes us so resilient. The most resilient people I know are the people grounded in Jesus. They're the people grounded in daily and weekly habits and practices that nobody else sees. They're the people who are focused on character first, not fruit, not growth not appearance. And we need to learn this really important lesson from the olive tree if we want to be resilient and fruitful as well. So the first thing is they have strong roots. The second thing that makes olive trees so fruitful and resilient is pruned branches. Pruned branches. Now there's an intricate science behind uh, pruning and why that should be done. I won't go into all of that now, but most of us know what that means. It means cutting back some of the branches every year to allow more light, more nutrients, more balance to the tree, and to actually stimulate new fruit. And one unique thing about olive trees is that the olives, the fruit of the tree, never grows from the same place on an olive branch. It always grows from a new place every single year, which means an olive tree will actually be more fruitful the better it's pruned, which is counterintuitive, right? To go in and actually cut branches from a tree, like that would make it grow better. To cut the branches will make it last longer. To cut the branches will make it produce more fruit. Yeah, 
That's actually what happens. And anyone who's ever done any kind of gardening knows this or has seen this, right? And it's a lesson that we need to learn and begin to apply to our own lives. Think about how busy most of us are. It's like we're a tree growing unhindered and unrestrained in every direction. And we subconsciously think, we don't consciously think this, but we subconsciously think that the more I take on and the more I do, the more I will produce. And it's just not true, right? The opposite is actually true. The more we do, the more branches we grow, the more spread out we are, the more burdened we become and the less fruit we actually produce. And so the question I have for you is where do you need to potentially do some intentional pruning in your own life? Where do you need to cut back? Where do you need to trim? It's not easy. Cutting back, trimming, saying no to anything is always hard. But if you want to be fruitful, and if you want to be resilient, you will do what olive grove owners in Spain do to millions of trees every single year. You will prune your branches. So, olive trees are fruitful and resilient because of their strong roots, because of pruned branches, and then one more thing, because of new shoots. New shoots. Uh, Olive trees are fascinating because they grow new shoots from the bottom of the trunk. Now, there's other trees that do this. Sometimes we call these suckers, right? That they grow up out of the ground or they grow from the trunk. But the contrast with an olive tree is what makes it so unique and so stark. Because as an olive tree gets older and older, the trunk actually gets big and gnarled and often twisted. And it even begins to hollow out. This is a picture of an olive tree in Greece that's estimated to be between 2,000 and 3,000 years old. So it was around when Jesus was around. But by all outward appearances, you would look, if you just saw the bottom of this trunk, you would look and you would think it's dying. Any other type of tree that you see begins to hollow itself out, you would say the end is near, the tree is dying. There's no more life left in the tree. But with an olive tree, it actually continues to produce new life in these little shoots that grow from the bottom of this hollowed out trunk. And in fact, in the ancient world, these shoots were often cut off and they were then planted in a new place and those became new olive trees. So that even when an olive tree, a olive tree is old, It can continue to grow and it can continue to thrive because it's bringing new life to new shoots that are becoming new trees. And there's something about the tree reproducing itself over the years. It actually sustains the main tree and continues to give life to the main tree. And so let me ask you another question. Are you giving new life? To other people. And I don't mean just are you serving other people or are you doing things that benefit other people? That's fruit and that's great. But I mean, are you actually reproducing the life and the faith and the hope and the grace that you have experienced in your own life in the lives of others? Are you intentionally investing your life in the lives and the future of other people?
Because there's something so life-giving about doing that. Giving away part of yourself for the benefit of others. There's something life-giving back to yourself, right? Jesus said something about that once. When we give our lives away, it's almost like we are keeping our lives and we will experience the abundant life that he has for us. And of course, Jesus modeled all of this for us. Uh, there's a verse in the book of Isaiah. Um, sometimes we read it at Christmas time, um, or you'll even hear it sometimes in old Christmas carols. And you've maybe heard it before and wondered, I have no idea what that means. Uh, it says this, it's Isaiah 11. A shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse. From his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And it basically is describing an olive tree where there's just a, a, a stump left. The tree has actually been cut down and there's just a stump and it looks like there's nothing there, but there's actually still a strong root system there. And from the stump and from the roots, a new shoot will come up that will eventually grow into a new tree that will bring new fruit. Now, historically speaking, this reference to a guy named Jesse, Jesse was King David's father. And so uh, Isaiah is, is somehow referring to Jesse and King David. But interestingly, Isaiah is writing hundreds of years after David. And we don't have time to do this, but earlier in the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah talks about the failures of David and all of the kings that came from David's line after him and all of the failures of the nation of Israel. And he compares Israel to an olive grove that has been chopped down because of its Failures. It's almost as if he's saying there's just a stump left from the line of David. But underneath that stump are the strong roots of God's plan and God's foundation. And a new shoot will eventually come up from those roots, come up from David's lineage. And this new shoot will bring the peace and the righteousness and the grace and the hope that our world is longing for. Jesus is the shoot of Jesse, the branch of Jesse, or as the old Christmas carol, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel says, the rod of Jesse that the whole world is waiting for. Now, Jesus does come hundreds of years later. He teaches people what God's love is all about. He gathers disciples to follow him. Oftentimes, he travels with these disciples to the city of Jerusalem to celebrate Jewish festivals. And we know that whenever he went to Jerusalem, there was a place in Jerusalem that was one of his favorites. It's a place where Jesus often went to pray, Luke tells us. It's a hill just opposite of the old city of Jerusalem. And the hill is named the Mount of Olives because it's covered with an olive tree grove. This is a picture that's still there today. The grove, by the time of Jesus, had been there for at least a thousand years because it was there in the time of David a thousand years before. And Jesus would often go to this grove to pray. We know during the last week of his life, Jesus spent time with his disciples there. He actually taught them on several occasions in this grove of trees. After the Last Supper, it says that him and his disciples went to this grove and they sang a hymn together. And then he went to a place in the grove to pray. And it's a place called Gethsemane. The word Gethsemane in Hebrew literally means 
olive oil press. It's the place where the olives were collected in the groves and then they were put in a press and crushed for the oil to be poured out. And this is the place where Jesus anguished over what was about to happen. His body would be bruised and crushed and poured out on our behalf. And we have new life today. We are the new shoots of new life because of Jesus and his pouring out of himself for all of us. And so may you, as you think about the olive tree and as you think about God's faithfulness and as you think about what Jesus has done for us, may you today fortify your roots and your foundation in Jesus. And perhaps that means going home and thinking about maybe I need to do some intentional root work or foundational work. May you today grow fruit by blessing and by serving other people. And perhaps in order to do that, maybe you need to do some intentional pruning. And then may you also give your life away to others. May you reproduce your life in others. And may you find that pouring yourself out for others is the most life-giving thing you could actually Let me pray for us. God, thank you for your long patience with all of us in history and in our lives. And I just pray that you would help all of us to see how you really are our foundation, you are our cornerstone, you are the strong root system that we need. And I pray that you would help us to figure out what does it look like to be found in that, to remain and be in you. And if that means making some tangible or practical decisions, if that means cutting some things away or giving some time and attention in some areas that we have not given time and attention, would you help us to know how to do that today? I pray this in your name.